I'm here talking with Jason, who is from 37 Signals. And um, I mistakenly thought 37 Signals is a Web 2.0 company, but I've now been informed by Martin, who brought Jason here for us today, that that is not true, and Jason is a Web 1.0 company. So, Jason, why don't you take it away and tell us a little bit about who you are and, and what you do? Well, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, actually, in general, I think the Web Web 2.0 kind of um, label is kind of silly to begin with. So um, we're just a web company. So we've been around since 1996. I'm sorry, since 1999. I've been doing this since 1996, but we launched the company in 1999. And um, currently we, we build web-based software products. So we, we build software as a service products. We have seven different products. Our most popular part is something called Basecamp, which is a project management tool used by over 2 million people now around the world. Um, we have HiRise, which is a contact manager, simple CRM tool, Backpack, which is an intranet, and group calendar, and a few other tools. But they all are based around the idea of collaboration for small business, and they're all based around the idea of simple tools that do a few things well and then just get out of your way. So it's all about back to the basics, executing on the basics at a really high level, forgetting about all the bells and whistles, and just getting things done so people can get things done and get out of their way. And um, fundamentally, our products do less than the competition, which is another thing that we're really proud of. Um, we think software generally has too many features. It's too bloated, too complex, too slow, too hard to learn. So we just do a few things and, and just get out of your way. And so that's, that's basically like, well, actually, before we go on and, and, and dig further into that, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are, um, how old you are, where you live, family, all that sort of stuff. Sure. So uh, I am 33. Uh, I live in Chicago, Illinois. And um, I actually graduated with a degree in finance, but I realized that I didn't want to work at a bank or in the stock exchange or anything like that. So I, I started my own business. Um, I've always been interested in design. And I, you know, around 96 when I graduated from college, the kind of the web was starting to hit um, as, as something that was commercially viable. And so everyone was starting out on the same page there. No one was an expert yet. And I said, hey, I can figure this stuff out too. So I started doing website design freelance um, in college and then right after college, um, and just kind of learned on my own, figured things out along the way, and it was a great opportunity for me to be able to design things and also start my own business, which is something I've always wanted to do. So where, where did you go to college, sorry? I went to college at University of Arizona. Oh, okay. I went to Michigan State. Okay, yeah, so you're a Midwestern. Yeah, yeah I, I kind of, you know, I'm from Chicago, and I figured I'd end up back here in Chicago, so I figured that it'd be nice to get out of the Midwest for at least four years um, in my 20s. So that's what I did. That's why I went out to Arizona. I, every so often I'm back in Chicago, and um, I'll go to like a bar or something, and I end up knowing someone at the bar. <laughs> yeah, I, I, like, I live in the Caribbean now. I haven't been in that area for a long time. But, um, <laughs> a lot of Michigan Tons State of my friends actually, yeah, tons of my friends went to Michigan State, so there's a big Michigan State contingency here. Hmm. How was it out in Arizona? It was awfully nice. It was uh, warm and sunny and... I love the desert. Everything about it was great. Cool. So you moved back, and um, and so you started doing freelance web stuff in in Chicago, and then it just kind of you started designing things more and more, and it just kind of took off. Is that that kind of how it happened, or how, how did you get yeah. to where you are now? Similar. Um, actually, right after college, I, I moved to San Diego um, to work as a creative director at a small web design company, and I realized about three four months in that I wasn't really built to work for other people. So I decided to move back to Chicago and start my own company. But I was freelancing on my own in college, and that's how I met the guy who hired me when I moved to San Diego. And then I just told him, you know, a few months in, this isn't for me. Um, 
so that's kind of what happened. And then around 1999, I met up with a couple other guys, and we got together and started 37 Signals. So before that, I was just doing freelance web design on my own, out of my house, basically, out of my apartment. Um, but in 99, I hooked up with these two other guys and started 37 Signals. And then for about the next four years, we just did web design for clients. So we were doing design for hire. Um, but around 2003, we were getting really, really busy, and we needed a tool to better manage our client projects. And we looked around for a bunch of tools that existed for Microsoft Project and a variety of others, and we didn't like any of them. They were too hard. They were ridiculous. They were stupid. They didn't solve the problems. They, they created other problems. And so we decided to build our own tool. Um, that became Basecamp, which we started using internally with clients. And they said, hey, you know, I need something just like this for my own business. This makes a lot of sense. And so we decided that we could maybe turn this into a product that other people can use. So in February 2004, we launched Basecamp as our first product didn't have any real expectations, just kind of was curious to see what would happen. And it turned out that it took off, and within a year, we were making more money off of Basecamp than we were off our consulting client projects. So we decided to stop doing client work and focus exclusively on building software. Hmm. That's, a, that's a nice way to have it all start. That's a, a smooth way. Yeah, you know, it, it just sort of happened by accident, which is how I like everything to happen, to be honest with you. We're not really big into planning here at 37 Signals. We like to just see opportunities as they come up and, and go after them. I think I think planning is akin to putting the blinders on and just saying, you know, we know where we're going to be in the next five years, and I think that that's just not a really good approach. I, I think it's better to kind of know where you're going in the next 30, 60, 90 days, have a general idea of where, where you're going, but for the most part, be open to opportunities that come along. And that's kind of what we've done ever since we started the company. So who runs the company? Is, is, is it your company? Is it a group of you that, that own it? How does that work? So it's my company. Um, I am the majority owner, but I have uh, one partner, um, a guy named David Handmeyer Hansen, who's also the fellow who invented Ruby on Rails, which is... Um, a very, very popular web-based or web application framework that tens of thousands of developers around the world now are using. And many of the web 2.0 companies who are building products are using Ruby on Rails to build their products. So he's the guy who did that. And um, I'd say it'd be hundreds of thousands of developers, not tens of thousands. Yeah, probably hundreds of thousands. I was, I was being conservative. <laughs> probably hundreds of thousands. Um, I don't like to overestimate things. But uh, let's say hundreds of thousands. Um, and... Um, it's been great. So David and I are, are the two two owners, and we also have one investor, um, which we took on in 2006. We, prior to that, we've been uh, self-funded, and I still believe in being self-funded, and technically we are still self-funded because our, our revenues are generated by our customers. But we took on um, one investor, Jeff Bezos, the CEO of Amazon.com, um, came on as our only. Jeff Bezos is an investor? Gee, that's, that's uh, tough. You, you really had to scrounge around <laughs> the bottom of the barrel in investments. I'm, I'm sorry that you had to put up with that. <laughs> right, wasn't that terrible? <laughs> so Jeff, tough, tough life for you, there, Jason. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'd actually been pitched by about, I would say, close to thirty different VC firms over the since nineteen, basically, or since two thousand four, I should say. Um, and we just didn't want to take VC money. We didn't need it. We're profitable. We're in the black. Everything was going great. We didn't want VC money. But when Jeff came along, um, you know, Jeff's a special guy, special entrepreneur, brilliant guy, super nice, really down to earth really insightful guy and after we met him we realized that he'd be a great asset for for our company so we worked out a deal where he came on as a minority owner and uh, we have you know he's available to us for advice when we need it otherwise he kind of leaves us alone and uh, lets us do our own thing and it's a perfect situation for us 
Well, so help me understand. I mean, that's really interesting because um, you're, you're obviously in a good position with getting capital because you didn't really need it, or did you? I mean, why did you? Why did you accept capital? Was 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 then? Did you want that to grow the company? Because I mean, you've given up some control. I mean, Jeff now has a say in what you what you do, even though he's he's a nice guy and he, all of that sort of stuff. He still is an investor. He mightn't really need his money back, but I mean, you never know. Things could change, and he might come after you and you know want you to cash out or something and have sure. have enough leverage to make that happen. Sure. I mean, we did it, again, not for the money. We don't need money to run the business. Our business is, is quite profitable. Our margins are incredibly high, and things are going very well for us. We're a small company. We only have 10 people, um, and uh, our, our you know profits would allow us to have many times that if we wanted to, but we choose to keep our team small for a reason. Um, but the reason we, we, we took Jeff on, Jeff on as an investor is mainly for his insight and his, his wisdom, um, and, you know, he's someone who's been through what we're going through, and we think that, you know, we're, we're not that experienced in terms of how to grow a company long-term, and he is. So um, we just thought he'd be the perfect guy. And we also just match really well. Uh, you know, his his ideas are, are very much our ideas, and, and we really like the guy. He's just a super nice guy. And, and, and the thing is that he, you know, he has a lot of other investments. He has a lot of stuff. He's obviously CEO of a large corporation. He has a lot of other interests. So he's not breathing down our necks. Um which is something that we really liked. He's not someone who has a short time frame horizon to get out. He's not like a typical VC who might want to be out in three to five years. You know, he wants us to grow this company over 20 years, which is what we want to do. We want to build one of the great companies in the next 20 years. So um, all those things just kind of aligned for us, and it just made sense for us to work with Jeff. And so, so far we've been really happy with it. And so did you, did, did you actually need the money, or did you not need the money at all? No, we didn't need the money. Um, and it, it, again, it, I mean, it was a cash deal, but it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't necessary to run the business. Um, it was just again, mostly for the, for the wisdom and experience and having exposure to someone uh, of just caliber, which is something very few entrepreneurs uh, ever get. So for us, it was just a kind of a sweet deal in that, in that way. The, one, the quote I read about him that I liked is after the IPO, like you know, a few years ago, he, 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 there was someone asked him, like, well, what's changed? And he said, well, nothing really. Everything's basically the same. The only difference is I just don't really look at the, the, the price of food on menu restaurants anymore. On the, on the yeah, menu. That, that does seem to be who Jeff is. You know, he is really down to earth and really authentic. And you wouldn't know if you ran into him that he's, you know, worth $8 billion or whatever it might be these days. So. Um, he really is a super guy, and that was very important for us because um, we we just don't like the whole um, kind of typical West Coast VC scene. And Jeff's just a down-to-earth guy. We really liked him, so everything just worked out well. And you know, hopefully, it will continue to work out. Um, who's to say what will happen in the future? But I think all of our goals are pretty well aligned, and things are going well so far. And so, how um, what kind of access do you have to him? Do you talk, can you could you get a hold of him like in Two hours, if you needed to, or is it, do you have to plan a week in advance? Um, well, let's see. So, you know, we can email him if we want. He obviously gets a ton of emails, so he, he's, uh, you know, he, he's not going to respond in two hours. But um, we, we have, um, you know, we know his, his people, so to speak, or, or his his uh, business manager and his investment manager. And if we usually we need to get in touch with Jeff, we get in touch with them first, and they hook us up with Jeff if necessary. Otherwise, they can answer the questions for us usually. So there's very rarely an urgent need to talk to him. Um, in fact, there hasn't been yet. So um, if we need to we awake, uh, we don't wait a week, I should say, or a month or three months, it's no big deal, you know. Um, but he has some very, very capable people around him. So it's not just 
Jeff that we have access to with some of the folks around him who are incredibly talented and skilled and, and very nice and insightful people too. So um, there's lots of advice to go around if we need it. Is it so? Is it more the direct advice from him that you care about, or is it the um, the, uh, the the brand? I mean, that that obviously you know you're you're already a good brand, but does that does it help more from that perspective? Um, ultimately, it is his advice um, when we need it. Again, it, it's not something we really need now. He's given us some really good advice so far, but it's, we haven't really cr- reached that kind of some some sort of um, how can I put it uh, um, like flashpoint where we absolutely needed advice from Jeff Bezos to do something. We, we we haven't run into that, and I don't know if we ever will. But it's nice to know that someone like that is around. But he has given us some great advice, and he's given us a lot of confidence. You know, his best advice for us so far has been do what you think is right. He goes, I, I believe in you guys. That's why I'm part of this this thing. You know, if you think you want to do something, I'm probably going to tell you to do it also because I, I think that you, you guys are pretty, pretty sharp and you know what you're doing, and that's why I'm here. So just just a, a bit of confidence in, in that way. And, um, you know, down the road, I'm sure as we grow the company a bit more, um, he'll have some more advice perhaps on, you know, hiring key people or, you know, key marketing decisions or, you know, whatever. I don't know what they're going to be down the road, but um, he's certainly available to us. But also the people around him are very sharp, and uh, they offer us good advice as well when we need it. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, so I ask a lot of questions about this. I actually had a, an interview um, similarly on this topic about two months ago with uh, PB Cannon from 24-7 Customer. Have you ever heard of that company? I have not, actually. They do call center stuff. Um, okay. Got, he's about... 6,000 seats around the world, and they do call center stuff for companies like Overstock. He was actually in a very similar position to you. They, I think they actually did need the money a bit, but not too much, um, but mm-hmm. they ended up taking uh, f- funding from Michael Moritz. Okay. Um, and it, the conversation I had with him was somewhat similar to the one that you and I have just had. Yeah, I think um, you know, it's nice to be in the position where you don't necessarily need money, which is our situation. Um, but for those who do... Um, I would I would advise everybody to to weigh their options carefully because once you start going down that road, you know I always think of of um, you know, I don't know many people who take just one round of VC money. They always take one round and they go back for another round. And they go back for another round. Before you know it, you have sort of lost control. And um, so I, I would I would encourage every small business owner to to bootstrap what you what you've got. Do do the best you can um, on your own, and hopefully you never have to take anything at all. But if you do, be very careful about what you do. Yeah. Often in the direct response space, um, our guys don't need to take cash. Often they're cash flow positive right from the start, mm-hmm. um, uh-huh. but not always. So that's good advice. Yeah. Yeah. It's all, of course every situation depends. So. Yeah. Um, I've got a bunch of questions here for you. Um, sure. One I'm, in, I'm really interested to know about. So you have ten guys now. Obviously, you you only want to work with the the smartest and the best. I mean, you know, you're working with the guy who invented Ruby on Rails. Um, what, what about the other guys in your team? They, they are the best guys. Are they all there in Chicago hanging out in your apartment, you, or do you find guys all around the U.S.? How do you find guys? Do you, do you work with guys in Ukraine or wherever? Like, Can you tell us a little bit about how your team works? Sure. So we currently have 10, but um, just three years ago, we pretty much had five people. So um, we've, we've doubled in size, but we're still awfully small. Um, we have five people in Chicago and then five people in five other cities around the U.S. Actually, we have someone in Canada now, too. So we're actually a very distributed team, um, and we believe in the power of distribution. In fact, so much so that when we're in Chicago, we rarely see each other. So the five people who live in Chicago almost never see each other. Maybe once uh, once every two weeks, we all see each other. So a lot of us work from home. We do have an office. Anyone's free to go to the office if they wish. 
But uh, most of us work from home kind of on our own hours whenever we feel like we're being productive and whenever we feel like we need to get the work done. Um, the other thing we do is on Fridays we, we don't work. So we have four-day work weeks, which is something we instituted recently. Um, our feeling is that the same amount of work gets done in four days and it could really get done in five days, mainly because there's a lot of wasted time in a normal week. So we prefer everybody to be much happier. Uh, we think happier people do better work. And so everyone gets a three-day weekend at 37 Signals. Um, we have, um, out of the ten people, we pretty much have seven programmers, um, eh, six programmers actually, uh, a couple designers, a customer service person, and some people who can kind of move between the two roles of designer and programmer um, and a writer. A lot of our people have multiple skills, basically. So we don't, for example, have just someone who's a designer. Like our, our, our main designer also knows Ruby, also knows Rails. Um, our, the guy who does a lot of our writing is also a designer. You know, I design and I also do the business stuff. So... Um, we have a lot of cross-disciplinary people, and that works out really well for us, which is one of the reasons why we can get a lot of stuff done with just 10 people. But as far as the, the kind of people and how we find them, uh, if they're programmers, we find them in the open source world. We think the open source world is, is kind of the best. Open source yeah. or free software? I'll, I'll tell Richard uh, Stallman to come after you. Right. <laughs> well, so so a great way to find great programmers is to look to the open source world because um, – you can see what people have been doing for years. You know, normally someone sends you a resume, and I, I never read resumes because I think they're all BS. Almost all of them are completely BS. And you don't even know what someone's really done at a company. And you can't actually look at their real work because oftentimes it's proprietary and behind closed doors. In the open source world, you can reveal or review people's code. You can see people's documentation. You can see how they've worked with other people remotely around the world. I mean, the open source world is so distributed, though. If people can get stuff done in the open source world, they can certainly certainly get stuff done with our small team. Um, and lastly, people who work in open source are people who love programming. They love the craft of programming because they kind of do it for free, and they do it on their own free time. So those are the kind of people we look for when we're hiring programmers. As far as designers, we look for people who've designed stuff on their own that we're really proud of, that we really like. Um, and also... People who come at design from just a different point of view, we don't hire people who went to art school. Well, not, not that we wouldn't, but um, we're mostly interested in people who design stuff for real people and not for their peers. I think a lot of people who went to art school design a lot of things for their peers. They're interested in winning awards, things like that. We don't care about that stuff. We care about people who understand what other people need to get done, and uh, those are the kind of designers, designers we'd like to hire. And so that makes a big difference. Um, a lot, what a lot of guys are just focused on making cool stuff for their friends, and that that affects the quality of their work, does it? Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. Like that's if you if you want to do that, that's totally fine. But that's not really what we're about. So we're we're much more about building things that small business owners can use, can understand quickly, and get a lot of stuff done. It's not about bells and whistles. It's about actually getting stuff done. Um, and we've just found that um, the kind of people that we like to hire are people who are interested in that as well. Um, we also try to hire people who we consider to be managers of one, basically meaning they don't need and to be managed. Um, they can take care of themselves, and it, it, it's important because since most of our workers are remote, you know they need to be self-motivated and they need to be organized, and they need to get stuff done on their own. I have to ask a lot of questions of us, so um, those are the kind of folks we look for. We also don't care about where you went to school or even if you went to school. Um, I think. I think about half of the people 37 Signals never graduated from college, and that's entirely fine with us. 
um, it's more about the work you get done, not where you went to school and what your homework was. So you're not looking at a 4.0 GPA from MIT? Don't care. If you have one, that's great, but don't care. Not at all interested in that. Interesting. All right. Um, I want to challenge you a little bit on the on the, the distributed work thing. Um, sure. I do you know actually do you know where I'm calling you from? Uh, the Caribbean, I think, right? Yes. Yes. Lucky you. Any idea which part of the Caribbean? The warm part. I don't. The, <laughs> the sunny part. part. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in. I've got the air conditioning running. It's hot here. Um, okay. We just had had a had a barbecue lunch. Um, I'm in the Dominican Republic. Okay. Um, I used to be out in California. I worked at Oracle. I've done all that stuff. Um, and like you, I found it wasn't for me. And so I moved uh-huh. off to the Caribbean. And I've really closely watched and, and seen which teams really succeed and which ones don't. And I've become a pretty strong believer that you need to have a core group of people in one place. If you look at traditional software development, um, Oracle has its headquarters in Redwood City, Redwood Shores, mm-hmm. and that's where all of their development's done. Um, it may have changed over time. I mean, I haven't been with the company for a long time, but um, they, they, may, they may be changing that. But Microsoft is another one. All of their core development is done in, in Washington. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, I mean, I think that's an important trend when you look at those sorts of companies with those kinds of sizes. Um, my feeling is by comparison in the free software world, it, it does work. And I've talked to some of the guys on the Linux kernel distribution list. They make it work. And, and, they, and I said, well, do you guys meet at seminars? Do you, do you talk together by phone, any of that stuff? And they're like, dude, we don't even like, we don't know anybody. We just do our, we submit our patches and that's it. Um, sure. So I think in that environment it works. But I'm skeptical that it works well in a commercial environment. The biggest I know is one guy who's running a team of 80 people all around the United States. And he's got that working. But my feeling is he could be five times more productive if he had everybody in one place. Um, I agree with the happiness thing, but it can you, can, if you can get people and keep them happy in one place, surely that's got to be more effective. What's, what's your uh, thoughts on that? My take is that um, I, I kind of disagree with that fundamentally because I think that, first of all, Microsoft, Oracle, they've certainly proven it. Most companies have everybody in-house. But we're not Microsoft. We're not Oracle. We don't want to build a company like that. Um, we don't want to build products like they build. Um, we have a completely different approach to these things. Um, but my feeling is that the closer people are physically, the more opportunity there is to interrupt one another. And interruption is the biggest enemy of productivity that there is. So there's nothing worse for getting things done than having someone call your name from across the room, having someone tap you on the shoulder, having someone pull you into a meeting. Because all it does is it starts to fragment your day into smaller and smaller and smaller chunks. Before you know it, you might have 45 minutes free a day um, just to get something done. Or you might have a 15-minute block, then you have a one-hour meeting, then you have a 60-minute block, then you have another hour meeting, then you have a 15-minute block if someone bothers you. And you just can't get stuff done that way. And if you ask people when they're most productive, they'll tell you either early in the morning or late at night. And those are because no one, and that's because no one's around. So my feeling is that when you keep people apart, you reduce interruption and you give people uninterrupted stretches of time. So someone might be able to work on something for three hours straight, which you can almost never do in a traditional environment because there's always someone there to knock on your door. There's always someone to pull you into a meeting. There's always someone to bother you in some way. Not maliciously. They don't intend to bother you, but they are bothering you and they are interrupting you. So our experience has been um, the further away we are from each other, the less interruption, which, which leads to significantly more productivity. So that's been our experience. Um, 
other people may have different experiences, but I think you're going to see more and more people come around to that way of thinking after they try it. Because once you try it, you realize that, wow, you know what? Things are getting done. It's so nice to have three hours of uninterrupted time, which I could never have in an office. So, um, again, you know, Microsoft, Oracle, many, many, most companies, in fact, um, whatever works for them is great, but we're not really looking to do what works for other people. We're looking to do what works for us. Sure. Um, how do you how do you know you guys are getting stuff done? I guess you're tracking it all in Basecamp. We can certainly talk about that. But I mean, have you have you brought anyone on board and you had to let them go because they weren't productive? Um, we had one person. We've uh, had to let one person go because it wasn't necessarily they weren't productive. It was mostly just because our motivations were a little bit different. Um, and uh, we let him go, but we're still best friends. We actually helped him find another job, and and um, we talked to him often. It just wasn't a good fit. But the way you know things are getting done is by looking at the products. And we don't ha- we don't we don't do things that take three months or six months or nine months. We we do things that take a week. So we keep our release cycles really small. We keep our features really simple. And so there's no hiding behind a three month deadline. You know, if something if you haven't committed anything this week, then we know things aren't getting done. Um, so that's pretty much how we keep an eye on that stuff. And um, we also use Basecamp and other products to communicate all the time and find out what's going on. But for the most part. You just know what's getting done because you have an eye on what's getting done and you use the things that are being built. So um, I think short time frames, small deliverables, small decisions, all those things help people get things done, help everyone know that things are getting done because, you know, there's nothing, first of all, there's nothing worse than working on a long, long, long project. And second of all, you really can't get a handle on how much stuff's getting done if something's going to be due in nine months. But if something's due Thursday and today's Monday, you know if, if something got done or not. So that's the kind of strategy that we employ. One other counterpoint, um, and then we need to move on. The, sure. um, there's a, have you, do you, are you familiar with the concept of a CPA network? No, I'm not. It's a, a traffic network. They drive um, sales on a cost per acquisition basis. So it's an affiliate network. Um, okay. So you, like it, let's say you, you know your average customer stays for one year. Um, they pay $20 a month. You might, you might say to them, send me customers. Um, I'll, I'll pay forty dollars a customer, and and you go out and get me all the customers you can get, and they'll go out and sure. drive a lot of traffic for you. Yep. <laughs> um, and that's a, so the the really efficient ones are CPA networks, and they just specialize in that. They're, they're effectively sales teams. And okay. They're guys that they're just calling publishers all the day long, which are guys with traffic, and 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 getting sales for people like you. So one of okay. them is named Hydra Media out in Los Angeles, and they started right. out in the in the LA area, all working out of their homes all around LA, and they're all commission based too when making these mm-hmm. sales. <laughs> and um, I was talking with one of the um, affiliate managers there about her time there, and she was telling me how when they were working out of home that they were doing okay, and then from one month to the next, when they moved into one centralized office where they're all working in one location, her commissions doubled because they just became so much more efficient. Sure. Yeah, I mean, that's sales. Uh, it's not software development. So I think they're completely different um, they're different things. So I, I think they're, it's kind of comparing apples and oranges. And again, I'm not saying that the software companies can't make working together work, as most do. But I think that there's a new paradigm that's being unveiled right now, which is basically um, productivity comes from actually having uninterrupted stretches of time, which you generally don't have together. If you're in the sales business, completely different scenario. But if you're in software development, we found that staying away from one another is, is the best way to get work done. And we actually found that out by accident because David, my partner in the business, He's, to, he's from Denmark. And so we worked together. He was in Denmark. I was in Chicago. We worked together for about three years that way. 
we got a ton of stuff done. And then we're like, hey, David, you should move to Chicago. We'll get you a visa. We can be in the same office. We can, you know, collaborate and shoot ideas off one another, things like that. And so we got him a visa. He lives in Chicago. We started working together at the office, and we realized that we weren't getting hardly any stuff done anymore because it was so easy just to interrupt one another. Hey, David, check this out. Hey, Jason, check this out. And we just started talking and BSing all day and, and not getting stuff done as much. And so we realized that. And so then we started splitting up again where David would work at home. I might work at the office or vice versa, and we got more stuff done again. And so that's the system that works for us. Again, I'm not suggesting it's going to work for everybody, but I think people should take a closer look at it. Again, not in every industry. Sales might be completely different, but as far as software development goes, um, we found that it's really effective. That's absolutely fascinating. And so how much time do you get together in a given month? Uh, not very often. So what we've actually been doing recently is, is um, having a catered lunch on Thursdays, so everyone is kind of encouraged to come to the office for free lunch on Thursdays so we get to see everybody. But as far as working together, we almost never all work together in the same place. Um, we use our product Campfire, which is our real-time group chat tool, to kind of be our virtual office. So everybody is in Campfire all day long. Campfire is basically like instant messaging, but for groups. Um, instant messaging is great for one-on-one, but groups it's not very good. So Campfire is a persistent chat room where anyone at 37 Singles can log in and ask anyone else any other questions, collaborate on stuff. Here, check this out. Here, what do you think about this? But it's, it's passive and that if I don't want to pay attention to it, I can hide it. I can put it away and I can come back to it a few hours. Unlike being in a physical space where I can't ignore someone knocking on my door, I can't ignore someone calling my name, I can't ignore someone saying you need to come to this meeting. Um, so we are all sort of... To, actually, before you go on, can you tell me a little bit more about that? With um, So, so you, you'll put... You, it's like an instant messenger window, and I looked at it, so you can sh- it shares like um, not only text but images and all that sort of stuff. Yep. So basically, if you want to interact with the team, they're there in a window, and they're all doing their stuff and saying, hey, Jason, what about this and that and whatever? And if you sure. say, well, okay, I've got to get some coding done for the next three hours, you just minimize that window and then come yep. back and then review it all later. Is that how it works? That's exactly right. And and there's a transcript of everything that was said, so you can scroll back to see conversations you missed. And it's persistent, so you can log in at any time and jump back in time. Unlike instant messaging, where if you close your window and two people are having a conversation, you can't see what they were saying before. So it's a transcript. It's all logged. You can share files in real time, images in real time, code in real time, in fact, and just chat in real time. Um, but, yeah, in fact, many times what happens is people are, are working and they said, hey, you know what? I'm going to close campfire. They'll say in campfire, like, hey, I'm going to close campfire for a while. I need to get some stuff done, and that's what happens. And, of course, if there's an emergency or something and someone really needs to get in touch with someone right now, that can happen too. But it's pretty rare that, like, there's true emergencies. Hmm. Very very interesting. Well, I'm, I'm going to have to um, sign up and try it out. <laughs> um, okay, how about, uh, why don't you tell us about uh, Basecamp? I mean, that's, I guess, the foundation of your work. Why don't you tell us how that works for you? Sure, so Basecamp is a project management tool, or actually I should, I should really call it a project collaboration tool. It's more about collaboration than it is about management because we found that most project management were kind of focusing on the wrong thing. They were focusing on the management part of it, not the collaboration part of it. They were focusing on control and not communication. They were focusing on one-way broadcasting of a project plan, not two-way back-and-forth collaboration and communication. So Basecamp is very simple. Uh, it has a few key tools a message board where people can discuss things, um, just like email, but instead of email, it's all centralized in one place, so you don't have to shoot emails back and forth, which gets really messy really quickly. You can upload and share files. Uh, there are to-do lists, so you can figure out you know, what needs to get done and who's responsible for doing it. 
And then there are milestones, which is like, this is due on this date. Here's who's responsible for finishing that. So it's about simple scheduling, simple to-do lists, a simple message board, simple file sharing. And there's some other stuff it does too, but fundamentally that is the core of Basecamp. And you can do almost any sort of project in Basecamp because of that. It's not tailored to one industry. It's not tailored to one technology. It's just simple things that every project needs to get things done. So there isn't a project on the planet that couldn't use just a simple to-do list to keep track of what needs to get done. And there isn't a project on the planet that could or that couldn't use simple scheduling or simple message board or simple file sharing. So um, Basecamp is used by so many industries, from design to publishing to teaching to um, a lot of lawyers and accountants use it, so professional services, manufacturers use it. Um, it's just be, it's just surprising to us how many people, how many different types of people use it and how many different industries are using it, when initially it was just built for us to manage our web design projects. So actually, would that be a, a, a continuing theme through all of your stuff, which is uh, you eat your own dog food? Yeah, in fact, that is everything about us. So every product we build, we build for ourselves first. So everything we need, we build, and then we say, hey, look, we're not special or unique. We're a small company. There's no, uh, millions of small companies just like us. And if we need it, if we have these problems, it's probably like, pretty likely that other people need it and other people have these problems. So, for example, HiRise, which is our latest product, which is a simple contact manager and sort of CRM, customer relationship management tool, was something we had because we were talking to the press a lot. We were talking to potential partners a lot. And we needed a way to keep track of that, those conversations. You know, who talked to who, what was said, um, what did they say, what needs to happen next, you know, where's that contract for that one person, you know, all these things. And we were keeping track of this, like, keeping track of these conversations either not at all or on Post-it notes or pieces of paper or in our email, you know, drafts folder or, you know, wherever it was. And there was nothing central. I didn't know who talked to who. I didn't know who, to, who David talked to last week. And if David needed to talk to somebody I talked to last week, there's no way for him to know what conversations I had with this person. So um, that's why we built HiRise, and now HiRise is used by tens of thousands of people to keep track of all sorts of conversations they have in their business with vendors and leads and, and, and employees and, and suppliers and whoever it might be, um, you know, who talked to who, what was said, and what needs to get done. So, yeah, dog, we eat our dog food all day long, and we, we wouldn't build something that we didn't use. Um, as far as the product goes, there's some features that we don't necessarily use in our products, but fundamentally, everything we build, we build ourselves first and then turn it into a product for other people. All right. Well, let me ask the big user question, which I'm sure you guys are acutely aware of. Um, when are the, is the contact management and high-rise going to merge with the uh, functionality in Basecamp? <laughs> well, it's not going to merge. <laughs> there might be some integrations down the road, but the products are not going to merge. Um, just like Microsoft Word is not part of Excel, but they kind of talk together or can sort of be used together. And, and, and Adobe Illustrator is not, a, is not Adobe Photoshop, but they can sort of talk to one another. That's probably where things are going to go down the road. But we do not believe in the big, huge kitchen sink product. I think that's what's wrong with most softwares. It tries to do too many things. So there's plenty of people out when, there. When are they going to talk together so that you can actually work with the contacts across each? Uh, don't know. We don't have a product roadmap, so we don't know when that's going to happen, but it'll happen when we get around to it fundamentally, I guess, is the, is the right answer. I mean, currently you can import your Basecamp contacts into HiRise. Um, you can't go the other way right now, but you can at least do that. So if you've been using Basecamp for a few years and you have hundreds of contacts in Basecamp, you can pull them right into HiRise with just a couple clicks. So that does exist. Um, and we also have single sign-on for all of our products already. So if you log into Basecamp, you're automatically logged into Hotmail, you're automatically logged into Backpack. Um, 
And even if you have multiple Basecamp projects or accounts, you're logged into all of them by just logging into one of them. So, you know, integration is coming slowly but surely. We just want to get it right. We don't just want to do it. We want to make sure it's done right. So we're thinking thinking carefully about how to really make it valuable. Um, there's they a lot of ways. To prioritize to, features. I mean, that's, that is, I, I know from, because I've, I've been investigating this area myself, there's a lot mm-hmm. of people want that. Do you, do you scratch your itches first? Do you, do you look at where the most screaming is coming from your customer, or how do you, how do you figure that out? Well, initially we scratch our own itch because that's we build the products for ourselves. But once people are using them, we get tons of feedback from people, thousands and thousands of pieces of feedback a month on what people want. Uh, it comes in the form of emails. Uh, we have a forum, you know, message forums where people can post. Um, we, we hear from a lot of people in a lot of different ways. Um, and basically we, you know, are paying attention to what they want, what we want, what, what's in the right spirit of the product. Um, you know, for example, I wrote about this recently that, um, you know, we like to think of ourselves as chefs, fundamentally, and we're cooking up software. So if you go to a restaurant and, um, you know, you go to a restaurant and you don't really request what the chef uh, or how the chef should cook, you go there because you like the chef's cooking. Now, if the chef is putting too much salt in his food or his food's too spicy and enough people tell him that, he might adjust the salt and might adjust the heat. But if someone comes up to him and says, hey, you need to put bananas in the lasagna because that's how I like my lasagna, he's probably not going to do that. He's not going to make a few people happy in spite of everybody else. So we have to be careful about the types of things we add to our product. Even if a lot of people want something, um, it may not make sense in the product. It may not fit the spirit of the product. So we have to kind of be gatekeepers in that way. We have to be editors. Just like editors have to trim down you know, a writer's copy, we have to trim down the features. We have to trim down the feature requests to make sure that they actually make sense. So it's a delicate balancing act between what people want, what we want, what the product wants, and then, of course, what the product doesn't want. And so there's no real science behind it. It's just a matter of feeling. Um, if you hear a lot of requests for something, like, for example, this week we're going to launch a feature that's been probably the, one of the top requests in Basecamp over the past few years, which is the ability to respond to a message via email. Um, currently, you have to log into Basecamp to post a comment on a message, but you'll be able to now just email the comment in. So that's something that's been requested for quite a long time, but we wanted to think about how best to do it and the implications of it and so we take our time to make sure that we do it right. It's really easy to get something wrong, really easy to get something wrong, and much harder to get something right. So we, we, we're careful about that, and, you know, we're constantly improving our products one little piece at a time. And, and some, some of the improvements are very subtle, but we think that those are often really important improvements, improving the speed of something. If we can make something 25% faster, that's a much more valuable feature than a brand-new feature. Um, speed is like the number one feature. So there's lots of things going on. We can improve the copy on, on, on the, um, instruct, you know, the instructional text or the label of a field. Little tiny things like that we think make a big difference. So we're always looking at little things like that as well. I was experimenting with Hi-Rise and found that with tags, um, I couldn't rename tags as a group. So there's an example of a little thing that I noticed. Um, is that, you can. Is that the sort of thing that will come? Uh, if, you, if you rename a tag, it, it changes the tag for, for all of the... Um, well, also, for all of, say if I had if I had ten things that I want to attach a tag to, I had to go and do it all one oh, by one. Yeah, bulk tagging, sure. That that is something we were considering adding. Yes, um, we don't really comment on on future features specifically, but that's something we're, we're definitely considering. We recently added bulk delete. So once now that we have bulk delete, we have some you know UI controls for bulk stuff. So tagging is probably something we're going to consider down the road. Hmm. All right. Um, how do you acquire customers? Um, it's you know. Almost all word of mouth. Um, so we don't really do any marketing or any advertising. We probably spent 
less than $25,000 in four years uh, on marketing and advertising. So it's mostly... Well, that's, um, that's probably uh, almost like about a dollar a month or something, isn't it? Uh, could be. Um, yeah, I guess so. Uh, it's, it's basically... Um, you know, we, 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 we share a lot about what we do. So our marketing is, is just talking about what we do, what we believe, and sharing. We're big believers in sharing. Again, coming back to this idea of being a chef, you know, famous chefs that you're aware of, people like Mario Batali and Emeril Lagasse and, you know, um, Jamie Oliver and these folks, like, you know their names because they're on TV sharing their secrets. They've written cookbooks. They're sharing their recipes. Like, they're sharing what they know. Um, and so right. we do that. We wrote a book called Getting Real, which is all about exactly how we do things, exactly how we design things and come up with features. Oh, do, you have a book on this stuff on, do you have a book on how you run your team and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, it's called Getting Real. So if you go to gettingreal.37signals.com, you can read it. It's 190 pages. It's uh, all about, you know, everything that we do and how we do it. Um, and so we put that out there. Um, you can buy it as a PDF. You can buy it as a paperback, or you can read it free online. Um, we blog about the things we do, the mistakes we've made, the ideas we have all the time. And so by sharing, you know, you become an authority and people start paying attention to you. And you start to reach people that you normally wouldn't be able to reach through traditional, like, sales channels where people are just right. being sold to. We're actually teaching people and, and sharing. And so um, that's how we've done it. And um, we currently have about 85,000 people a day who read our, our blog. So we have a pretty big audience there. Um, our customers are, are, you know, we just did a survey with Basecamp, um, Customer satisfaction survey, and 94% of the people would recommend Basecamp to a to a friend or colleague. 96% would recommend Backpack. So we have a lot of people talking about our products, feeling so good about recommending them. That's too high. Like when your customer satisfaction is that high, you're probably not charging enough. Maybe I don't know, <laughs> but uh, people like what we do, and you know, not everybody, of course. There's a lot of people who don't like what we do, which we're happy about that too, because they, in turn, generate a lot of uh, publicity for us too. Um, but you know. Uh, most of it's word of mouth, and um, our products are collaborative in nature. So people don't use them independently; they use them with five people, ten people, twenty people, and those twenty people and those twenty other people. Yeah, so so that's kind of how that works. Um, and we we've been really fortunate; we've done a lot. Go ahead. I'm so sorry. So you're using public relations. We just hadn't had that much time. If you're using public relations, are you interested in using other methods for acquiring customers, or is your focus going to stay on public relations? No, absolutely. Um, we are interested in, in other methods. So. Up until now, we've been completely word-of-mouth driven and, and just, you know, customer or public relations. We don't have a PR firm. We do all that stuff ourselves, and we don't actually even do it. We just be ourselves, and, and, and the press is interested in what we have to do, and so they write stories about us. But um, we are very interested, probably starting this year, in looking into uh, more traditional sales uh, channels and, and, and customer acquisition models just to kind of reach a whole new audience that we haven't been able to reach just through word-of-mouth. So that's definitely something we're looking into this year. Um, have you heard of the service called iContact, the mail, mail mail service? You know, that does sound familiar. I'm not sure if it's that one or another one, but I think that is familiar to me, yeah. The CEO is one of my interviews. I actually use it for my list, and um, they do they do email, and they do a good job. They get their mail through, which is why I work with them, and he's actually become a client. But so okay. are you doing stuff with where you go and talk to a guy like him that also works with small business audiences and doing cross-promotions? Uh, we'd like to, yeah. We haven't done anything like that yet, but we... Um We've just been focused pretty much on getting our products to the point they're at now and, and, and this year and, and moving forward. We definitely want to look at a variety of different opportunities for us to, to get out there and get in front of people who don't know about us. Um, there's, you know, obviously most people don't know about us, so it's, it's 
it's a huge opportunity for us right now. And, and the fact that we build to build this business to where we built it without really advertising at all shows us that once we probably get out there and get a little bit of advertising, get a little bit of exposure, reach people we haven't reached before, we could really kind of catapult this thing. So we're excited about that. Well, let me let me ask you the big number and you know tell me if I'm out of line. Um, what's your what's your typical customer retention? Uh, we generally don't share that sort of thing. Um, we might share with with uh, a partner in confidentiality, but we we wouldn't share that sort of information publicly. Because if you tell if you tell my guys and you say, well, its average is you know like 24 months, um, or our average our average retention is like you know they don't they don't ever quit. Um, these guys would be like, my God, because the typical for an aggressive direct response campaign is or even a normal direct response campaign like Time Magazine or something like that, a lot of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, no, Magazine's not a good example. But for a lot of continuity programs, typical is three to five months. Okay. Um, I can tell you that we're above that, but that's all I can say. So um, we, we're very happy with our retention. We're very, very happy with our conversion rates. Um, our numbers are, are very positive. So um, I think I think we have a, we have a formula. Um, we just need to kind of, Expand that and, and, and get that out there in front of a lot more people. Right. Um, so you're in front of my group of about 450 guys and doing all kinds of different internet stuff. Anything in particular you want to tell them? I mean, you're interested in guys that you can do what we call a joint venture with, like uh, Eye Contact, so small bi- that have um, small business customers. What other things do you want them to know about, or you want to sh- want to share with them? Well, I think you know. We're definitely interested in talking to people who have exposure to small businesses. And when I mean small businesses, I really mean like truly small businesses, 10 people or less, 5 people or less. Um, a lot of our customers actually are individual freelancers. Um, you, know, you know, I think that that market is so underserved. The idea of the, the, the you know, um, independent contractor, the freelancer, the side business person, the person who has a job from 9 to 5 comes home and works three hours at night on their own little side project. You know, there's those people are endless. That market is huge. And, I don't think that the software industry really goes after them. When I hear about, like, or, like you mentioned, companies like Oracle and Microsoft and Salesforce.com and a variety of other companies like that, when they talk about small businesses, they're talking about companies with 100 people. You know, I'm talking, we're, our, our customers are, are, are 10 or less people, 5 or less people. We call that group kind of the Fortune 5 million is kind of what we like to call them. So anyone who has access to those sorts of folks, um, I, I think we'd love to talk to them. And um, the other thing that, that, that we like is that the people who buy our products are the people who use our products, which is not the same in, as it is in the, in the enterprise software world, which is, you know, you have a buyer who buys something and the users are completely different, which is why most enterprise software is terrible. It's because the people who buy it aren't the people who use it. So the people who buy it don't know how bad it is. They're just being sold on features and being sold by salespeople. They don't really care if it's hard to use. It's, that's not their job. They don't use the software. So our market, the people who buy it are the people who use it. So there's a really close connection between value, usability, um, and solving problems, and, and affordability, and all those things. So anyone who has access to those sorts of folks, I think, are, are definitely people that, that, that we'd have love to talk to. Have you thought about a particular revenue model? Like, do you have a payout per customer acquired or a revenue share that you do for uh, sales that are made for you? Yeah, so um, we, we do that on a custom basis. Um, we ha- currently have an affiliate program that's only for existing customers, but we're, we're expanding. We're going to be expanding that shortly. Basically, the way it's going to work is this, and this is not um, official yet, so it's not. It, it could change. It's, it's TBD in some ways, but um, the way we do it is this. So our products are are have recurring re- monthly revenues. So people might pay forty nine bucks a month, for example, to use Basecamp. Um, if someone can send us a customer who signs up through a, like a referral code or something like that, um, we would pay the person who referred, referred uh, them to us uh, half of the first month. So if someone's paying forty nine bucks, they basically get twenty five bucks. 
and um, we're also considering doing a 5% um, recurring revenue stream for, for the life of that customer. So if that customer stays around for you know for a year, you get 5% of the revenue generator over a year. We're, we're um, running out of time, and so we're going to have yeah. to wrap it up. But let me just give you a little a little pointer on that to get guys really sure. interested. You, you would want to actually be considering like um, a 50% re- lifetime revenue share. If you, if you did something like that, that's when you start getting a ton of people um, driving a lot of customers. Okay. Well, you know, we're, we're open to a variety of things. We, we, you know, don't really know so much about what's what works, what doesn't yet. So we'd love to talk to people about that. But we're certainly open. I mean, we uh, we want to generate a lot more business and get a lot more customers. So whatever works, we're certainly willing to to entertain that. Cool. Um, anything you want to add in closing? Um, no, other than you know, check us out. If you have if you have something that you think would be beneficial for us, we'd love to talk to you. Awesome. Jason, thanks very much for your time. Hey, thank you very much. I really had a good time. Thanks.